this is not another one of those cast pod thingies, <laughs> is it? Tajan's man, I yeah, know it. I know it too, yeah, I know man. it too. I really do. Oi, cheers. Cheers, mate. Beer time, we've got insert chosen beer. Is that sponsor? Today they are. <laughs> they sponsor me. Cool. Take it away. The better half of Billy Slater. I think we know him, say that. Oh, Billy's your husband. I can't get it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, yes. Welcome back to another Tazjans. If you're new to Tazjans, welcome. If you've been listening, welcome. But today, I've got pretty much a bucket list human being that I wanted to get on this podcast for ages. Today, it finally happened, Ryan Moody. He's a bloody champion. If you don't know who Ryan Moody is and you fish, you're living under a rock. So, he used to be a charter operator. He's, he does all these online courses. I don't know if, if you've seen them, you've seen them. So, he does uh, a Barra Basics one, one how to use your sounders correctly, sounder skills, one and two. They're, they're bloody awesome. He's got like wonky holes. He's the one who's pretty much found wonky holes and taught everybody about wonky holes. So, if you want to know anything about wonky holes, get the wonky holes course. He's also got one on Threadfin Salmon, Finger Mark, and he's got a new one that's soon to be released. We talk about it in the podcast, so you might have to have a listen to see which one this is next, but it's a bloody awesome one. He's a YouTube sensation now, so bloody all over it. Him and his wife Karen, they just smash it up and down the coast, especially up around the Cooktown area. That's exactly where I want to go. That's why I bought my big girl, so I can head up that way. So I'm glad I know Ryan now to know where to go. So he's got... The thing about Ryan is he's a uh, down-to-earth, no-bullshit type of bloke. He's a true NQ digger. Talking about diggers, don't forget Anzac Day. Take some time to reflect on your sacri- on the sacrifices our diggers have done in the past and are doing right now. So, lest we forget. It's also brought to you by Back Reef Sessions. Bloody, it's my page on YouTube. Get amongst it. Come on. I've got new fishing shirts and apparel coming out. If you want to check out the, the shirts and stuff, go on Tazjans on Instagram. I'll, I'll put some stuff up there. DM me at Tazjans and um, I can get... I've only got a few, but I want to get them out there. I'm giving to you them at cost. Pretty much cost because that's. I just want my shirts out there on your backs so you can go bloody fishing. Talking about fishing, take it away, Ryan Moody. Let's do this. I know we might talk a little bit about wonky holes because um, I've, I've taken As and Strick out to one of them to spear their first big nannies and, yeah. and that sort of thing. So, yeah, we can touch a little bit on on some of those tips, like tips for, for nanny guy. We could say for the guys who, who you know, are mostly bait fishermen, you know, think about jigging for a change. It's such an exciting way of fishing and very effective. And we could just talk about, you know, maybe stuff like that as well. But yeah. I've only um, just started jigging. I don't think I've actually caught a fish jigging yet, but I've done a couple of trips where I've just chucked it in when I'm bored and started. I've, I've got a couple yep. of lures as well, so cool. I've been using those. That's why they're no good. Nah. <laughs> 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 no, but we'll, we'll go straight into it from here anyway. So, everybody, yeah. we've got uh, Ryan Moody. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, mate. Yourself? Oh, fantabulous. Um Anyone who doesn't know Ryan is pretty much probably the most well-known fisherman, or probably in Australia now. You just you just a legend up this way, especially in North Queensland, like full-blown legend. Uh, you, we can go through your, your life and stuff and how you got into fishing and all that. But um, yeah, I just want to let you know that yeah, your stuff on on telly and all that on YouTube and all that is 
is amazing and yeah i, I think you should keep keep going with it because it's really good especially your courses yes mate yeah we get um yeah hundreds and thousands of emails um from people who watch our stuff saying they absolutely love it and that we should be doing full-time fishing shows and everything like that but um, with the courses we run, that that sort of has its, we have our hands full with that as well. So we do have to be here at certain times and trying to get away. Sometimes, you know, it's a big mad rush to get some content made for the courses, the study groups, and answering questions and things like that. And then we can get away for a while, and we come back again. And it'd uh, it'd be nice to be like stricken as where we could just get up and go away and, and stay away for a while, you know. But um, live yeah, the glamour life. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but uh yeah no it keeps us busy mate and we enjoy what we do especially because you know we get hundreds and thousands of emails over time just from people saying you know thank you so much for inspiring us and um we really do realize life is short and you know we shouldn't be spending our whole life working and and when we're ready to retire we pretty much pass away straight after it you know so what we're all about is inspiring people to get into the great outdoors and and um and especially for their kids too by passing on by the, the parents learning the information from our courses you know it's something they can pass on to their kids or get their kids out and actually catch a few fish for a change and inspire them to be outdoorsy people rather than you know sitting behind a, a computer game or or you know that sort of stuff that uh, we try to get kids away from um which creates all sorts of problems like obesity and, and all that sort of thing too you know yeah, well, I, I really, what you touched on before was um, when you retire, everyone works their whole life so they can't wait to retire and I'm middle-aged now and I'm, I'm like, mate, I'm sore enough as it is right now. I can't imagine <laughs> what it's like when you retire and, like, and then you think, well, I'm, I, when I was younger, I would have went and done that, but I can't do it because I'm too sore. So that's, I really think that. Yeah, you really have to find a spot in the mid or the start of your life or the mid of your life to actually get out and enjoy the stuff that you probably would have would have wanted to when you retire. But you just know that you. I know that I'm going to be that sore and fucked that <laughs> 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 I'm not going to be able to get out and do it. <laughs> I know, mate. Well, I'm mid fifties now, so um, I try and stay on top of the game. Always have, always eat healthy, exercise, and punch the bag every day. That sort of stuff, and you know, just try and keep on top of things because the with our lifestyle, it's just go, go, go. We, we have so much uh, mental frustration and stuff dealing with all the technology from behind the scenes with our businesses. Even though we have a lot of that taken up by our staff now as we've grown we you know we just take a hat off and give it to another person kind of thing and and they can run with it and so we've got all our social media managers and jeffrey overseas he's great and he does all the tech support backup and and all that kind of stuff and emma our assistant she does all our emails for us now and and um because there's no way we would be where we would be now with if it was just karen and i still you know we've been through burnout once a long time ago and and um there's something we don't want to go through again especially as we're getting older and yeah. and if we want to and the plan is for us to kind of semi-retire sometime in the next few years and and be able to get away a lot more and make more of a i mean i'm pretty keen to make a couple of docos actually on the the cooktown gold rush days and all the the lost shipwrecks and and all the stories up there um, I've actually found a few historic shipwrecks, which we've kept to ourselves, of course. And um, yeah, it's pretty interesting. We want to go up and have a dive at some stage and and uh, go and have a good look at them. Yeah, because I was actually talking. Well, I was watching some with my wife the other day, and she said she you got a good voice for like 
documentary style. She said you got like a newsreader style voice. <laughs> Everybody says that. <laughs> uh, a lot of our a lot of our course students say that their wives reckon it's so good listening to me because they're always listening to me on, on the computer with their husbands on that looking at the courses. Yep. They said my voice is so calming, but I guess I've grown up with my voice, so I don't really think much of it. <laughs> At least make one of us with a good voice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, no, that's our plans for the future, mate, is eventually start slowing down from all this and let the business run itself. I mean, I'll still be pretty active in it, um, but the plan is to eventually move over to, yeah, going away and experiencing a lot more of the amazing parts of this country and documenting it and, and hopefully making a couple of docos, mm, looking at a bigger boat too. Oh, so, um, what, what it's called extra mood swings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bad mood swings. <laughs> That's it, Titanic swings. <laughs> uh, so, so we're just looking at one at the moment, actually, over, over in WA, a uh, 70-foot, uh, no, 65-foot catamaran. Um, it's got twin jets in it, so it only draws 800, so you can oh, get it into beaches anyway, and that. Yeah. And it's got a davit on the front, and you can lift the quad off onto the – there's a quad room for quad and a tender on the bow as well. And it's got a lift on the back that holds two and a half tons, so we can put the six-meter on the back of that. It's just absolutely ideal for us, uh, but, uh, you know, at the moment it's just early days and the owner's apparently putting new jets in it at the moment. It's hardly been used, really. It's just – it's been sitting around a little bit, but – it's a beautiful boat, and um, but whether we get that yet or not, but that's the kind of thing we'll be looking at into the future um, is getting a much more bigger boat. Uh, I don't do really much marlin fishing. We, we bought mood swings because I'd, I worked on the marlin boats years ago, and um, the Black Watch were an amazing hull, and I just love how dry they were and how they punched the ocean. Uh, they have a very good reputation as a, a good sea boat, the 40-footer. 40 40 so that's why we bought mood swings and i did intend to do a lot of marlin fishing i've got a lagier as you can see behind me there probably but um we just don't get out to go and, the times that we get to go and do it i've got to round up an experienced crew to do that sort of thing because it's just not something that me and karen or a you know average joe off the street can go and wire a thousand pound marlin or rig baits and set the lines up and everything like that you know so but yeah hopefully this year we might get it Comes Sorry, buddy. in with um, like even spearfishing. You want to go chase pelagics and stuff like that. You don't just grab Joe off the street and say, "Let's go chase." No, <laughs> that's right. I mean, trick. I don't do that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I watch some of this stuff at times. I don't get much time to watch YouTube and and all sorts of things. But uh, yeah, I've seen some of the the things that the guys do. And I mean, in my younger days, I was pretty mad and keen like they are now. And I used to do a lot of spearing years ago, but. Uh, a big tiger shark sort of brought that to an end one day at Anchor Bay at Lizard Island, and um, we um, and the, I didn't go back in the water for a year. And and the very next year, I was on the marlin boats, mother shipping at Number Three Ribbon Reef. And the very next time I jumped in the water, we went to spear a few trout for the the mother ship, and uh, in the shallows, and I got smashed by two eight foot silk silver tips. And one of them bit my flipper and the other one grabbed a trout and spear and everything and took off. And I, I, I was about probably 35 feet down still at the time. And, and uh, yeah, I, I lost, lost a lot of air. But so by the time I got to the surface, I nearly had a vacuum in my lungs. I was going to take a breath whether I liked it or not. And, yep. and uh, yeah, I very close to losing my life. So I came home and sold my spear guns and I've never been spearing since. <laughs> <laughs> so with the tiger, so, what happened with the tiger? 
Oh, that was at Lizard on our back in the before the green zones and everything. You know, this is well. I think it was eighty nine. I think it was. I was up there working on the resident boat. You know, taking all the film stars and all that sort of stuff fishing and. Um, we uh, on our days off sometimes we'd go and you know spear a few trout for the kitchen and that sort of stuff and because um, we were, it was a pretty close knit community up there everybody knew each other all the staff got on really well it was a great atmosphere great place to work even though I wasn't working in the resort I was working on the the resident boat sort of thing but um, and we get some fish for ourselves too so I went out one day and I. Of course, I was, you know, farming the place and I didn't want to spear all the trout out of here and there. And, and we didn't do it that often. And, and we'd only take sort of five or six each time, you know, that was it. So I just went out to have a look at a new area and there was a, about a 20 metre drop off on the edge. You know, you look over the edge and there's the darkness and there was trout everywhere. <laughs> there was hundreds of them along there. And I went down and shot the first one and uh, came back up. It was only sort of about six, seven metres down to the top of the ledge and and by the time I came back up, there was white tips, there was black tips, and the bronzies started moving in, and they all just came out of the deep because I didn't quite get the trout properly, and he quivered a bit, and that's all it took, you know, and all of a sudden there's whalers everywhere, and I had 20, 25 of them swimming around me, and they're getting their pecs out and shaking their backs, and I'm going, this is not good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I was about probably 80, 70, 80 metres off the headland at Bird Islet there, and around near first beach and um a, a tiger came in on their activity i mean tigers are pretty placid to swim with when you just approach them in the wild yeah. um but when they're a little bit stirred up because of other sharks aggressions uh yeah he took two kind of swipes and came in close and yeah it wasn't fun and i eventually made my got my way prodded him off with an unloaded spear gun and got my way under the first rock uh, covered in oysters and I cut myself to pieces and it was only like a 30-foot jump across to the headland. Yeah. But you think I was going to do that? <laughs> <laughs> Not in any hurry anyway. <laughs> I just swam 80 metres surrounded by sharks and, and um, I yeah, the last here. 30 feet. <laughs> <laughs> so I got sunburned there for two hours until the sharks. Had, I still had the trout. I, I held it out of the water on the spear while all this was going on, <laughs> swimming backwards, watching this thing. And I, didn't, I forgot all about the other sharks. I didn't even think, you know. Um, so yeah, that was quite an experience. That's why I didn't get back in the water for a year and took a little bit of time and to settle myself down and realized, you know, it was just a, a bad incident. And, and then the very next time, bang, two silver tips. It was yeah. insane. So, um, you know, I've been sparing 500 times before that with minimal issues and yeah, sort of kind of, uh, snapped out of it a little bit and yeah, stuck in the boat. I mean, I still went snorkeling cause I realized, you know, Snorkeling is not an issue, um, yeah. but sometimes you can get things stirred up a little bit, spearing as you as you guys would know. But mm. um, but yeah, it's just one of those things, I guess. And uh, these days, I mostly stay in the boat and and mostly snorkel. <laughs> no more spearing. <laughs> <laughs> so, where'd you grow up? What area you grow up, mate? I grew up in Townsville. Um, I was born in Townsville. Uh, with some great parents. My mum, mum's still alive. She's doing reasonably well, and dad passed away a few years ago and he was responsible for basically getting us into fishing um he wasn't a, a mad keen sports fisherman he was one of those guys that you know just loved going out in his little 18 footer and tr chuck a couple of cord lines with spoons out the back and catch doggies spotties and greys and spaniards you know that was his main thing and sometimes we'd just go and drop a pilly or squid down on a reef somewhere and catch the odd trout and bits and pieces you know so 
And of course, he'd, we'd, he'd drop us off on the beach and Florence Bay and all those sort of places. And we'd go rock climbing and doing all sorts of things as kids, snorkeling and, and spearing. That's where I first got into spearing when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, around Magnetic Island down there in Townsville. And uh, yeah, I stayed down there till about 2006 uh, before the green zones chased me out. I lost 92% of my grounds going by my log books and so we had to move to Cardwell which I didn't mind of course getting away from the big smoke and and um the best of yeah, getting into the <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and getting into the uh the small town mentality a little bit and re- you know kicking back even though we've moved to Cairns now and it's like bloody traffic <laughs> but um uh, I, I mean I like Cairns so I'd really do but um yeah getting used to the traffic again and stuff like that and, and roundabouts uh, roundabouts <laughs> in the northern can't use them <laughs> <laughs> so yeah and the roundabouts on the northern all on the northern end here got that slippery yeah. bloody um bitumen oh it's insane when it gets wet everyone's sliding I don't know how they got away with doing that but anyway like today today's one of those days if we're there's actually a low crossing the coast right as we speak. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, we're getting the top end of it here. I think you'll get yeah. more down there at the moment, but tomorrow yeah, I think we're, it's expected to come up here. Yeah, at at the moment it's probably about thirty five knots outside. <laughs> She's yeah, blocked. righto. Well, we've got nothing here about three knots, but yeah, uh, yeah I expect we'll see it tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> with, with the fishing and all that, um, so. You say old boy got into it. Any other jobs you have before you got into fishing, the charter side? Uh, yeah, mate. Yeah, well, I first left school. I I done a um uh, done a little bit of the copper. I left school early, grade early grade ten. I had pretty good marks, but hey, the the big wide world looked better. Mm. And um, yeah, I done a little bit of work in the copper refinery. That's where my dad worked. He got got us a job out there in the tank house uh, for just for a little while, and done a little bit of glazing after that. Uh, then I went on to do some dam lining uh, with my cousin. We used to go out and do big dams and uh, leach pads, yep. like 120 megalitre dams and all that sort of stuff on mining sites, elect- electrical stations. That was good fun, abseiling down the side of these things, standing on stinking hot black plastic with That's a welder, <laughs> plastic welder. <laughs> uh, kept us fit, put it that way, <laughs> moving a thousand sandbags every day on the edges so the wind didn't get under it. So, yeah. Had muscles in our shit back then, but um, <laughs> it was insane. Very hot, you know. Sometimes you start the welders up around nine, ten o'clock in the morning, and you got fifty-four degrees down in the bottom of the the um, the dam, you know. But you didn't even that have was to good start fun. Them up in the middle of the day. You didn't have to start them up; they just melted together. <laughs> yeah, that's it, pretty much. <laughs> so, um, and then yeah, it was pretty much fishing, mate. I, I yeah, I, when I was doing the dam lining and those sort of things, I was kind of. Not all the time. Um, and when I came back, I was doing a bit of mackerel fishing um, for a friend of ours. Uh, had a mackerel boat. Uh, and also a bit of commercial diving, uh, catching aquarium fish on the hooker. Um, done that for a while as well. And um, pretty much uh, I jumped after the mackerel boats and the diving and stuff. I jumped on the game boats and and um, done, um, yeah, seven or eight good, good year, year, eight years at that. Uh, mostly light tackle down at Cape Bowling Green in its heyday when there was 10,000 marlin and sailfish there. Yeah. Uh, then heavy tackle at Mermidon Reef and and done uh, four or five seasons up at um, Lizard and that afterwards. And yeah, had a had a great time meeting lots of interesting people and catching thousand pound marlin and yeah, it's pretty insane. That's a that's a whole different dangerous sport that one. That a lot of people don't realise how what 
strife a decky can get into. You want to talk about oh, yeah. the strife well, holding the line the wrong way and stuff like that? And swords <laughs> there is the underwater the boat. <laughs> yeah, well, there is the underwater Wyman's Club, and um, <laughs> there's been a few lads go over the side, and some pretty dangerous um, occurrences have happened. And that's what I'm saying before. You know, we just don't. Well, I'd love to go and do a bit more of that, but sometimes when we've got time free, it's hard to get hold of guys who are experienced to, to come out and do that, you know. I mean, I'd happily jump on the wire and give the wheel to someone else as long as they were an experienced skipper. Yeah. But um, I'd love to, I would have loved to have done it a lot longer, um, but I, had, I um, met my first wife and we had our first kid, and that's when I came back to Townsville. And in the, in the off-season from the, the, the last four or five years, I was establishing um, barra charters yep. uh, in Townsville. And then we went full-time with the Barra Charters after that and uh, had that business for, what, 32 years, I think, of Barra Guided. Only retired a few years ago from that. So, yeah, it's been an interesting life, mate. Um, yeah. How many yeah, metres of Barra have you got? How many metres all up have you got? Uh, 2,035 over a metre saltwater fish. <laughs> uh, not not impoundments, saltwater. <laughs> the other day there, I, I, I caught... A barra that I thought was my first meter in it was ninety nine centimeters. I was gutted. oh no! <laughs> <laughs> I used to get quite a few clients like that too. You know, they came up all this way to to catch a meter in. They'd catch a bunch in the nineties, and their biggest would be ninety nine point five. And it's like, <laughs> sorry, mate, <laughs> can't neck it and make it longer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah, you're not there. You're not the only one on that boat, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so. Did anyone teach you the area down there or you just had to learn it all yourself pretty much? The, um, I learned it all myself, mate, greatly, like on the on the mackerel boats and that and the marlin boats, learning depth sounders and, and things like that um, and understanding them in my own way kind of thing. Uh, I didn't, didn't get anyone to really teach me. I just sort of got to understand how cone angles and what they actually covered on the bottom and how they cover it and how it can hide fish and and all that sort of stuff. There's so many illusions with uh, 2D depth sounders. It's not funny, you know. Yeah. Uh, I guess with all the functions, there is certain illusions, but more more so with 2D than anything, um, over side imaging or down imaging. But uh, and that put me in good stead. Then I had my head stuck in a sounder five six days a week for the rest of my life. Uh, after that, for quite some time and three decades. And yeah, I've learned a hell of a lot about depth sounders, things that the manufacturers don't even realize. Yeah. Uh, so, as, as I yeah, said, that's why we, <laughs> we made sounder skills too, mate. And now we're in the 62 countries. So um, yeah, it's gone insane, mate. Very and if you haven't, haven't, if you want to get into fishing and want to learn more about, especially side scan, I think that's one of the biggest things you've, you've taught most people is how to use a side scan. And yeah. A lot of people yeah, a lot of people, uh, the way you look at a side imaging screen, it's not exactly how it looks as far <laughs> as your distances between targets and things go and how shadows are projected and where they're projected and where that fish is in relation to the water column and how far away it actually is from the boat compared to how it shows you on the screen and all that sort of thing. So there's a, so much, there is a lot in it, yeah. Yep. Yeah, and there's the, study, the new Humminbird one, the, the, oh, it's not new, it's the, like the radar one. I know you got the Garmin Live Scope, which is good. Yeah. But the, gar, the radar one is just like giving you exact spot where to throw your <laughs> line pretty much. Cause like, of, yeah. yeah. Well, that, that's, that's, kind of, that's good technology. Um, but the, the Live Scope now comes in a perspective mode where the transducer turns on its side and you get more of a lateral perspective. 
Yeah. So instead of having your 135 degrees from surface to under the boat behind you and a 20 degree wide uh, cone angle, well, the beam turned on its side, now the 135 degrees is lateral. Yep, so and, it's from the top of the water to the bottom. Well, Inside no, you can, you, it sort of faced it down a little bit, yeah, yeah. But, um, but you can actually see the fish actually moving in front of you in real time. Yeah. It's more or less like not having the water in front of you and you're just sitting down there watching these fish swim in, <laughs> in, in the open kind of thing. So yeah. you can actually see where they're moving. Yeah. I mean, the 360 stuff is great, but each time it comes around, you've got to wait for each rotation to get an update. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think the technology will come out uh, at some stage where there will be probably 360 live scope. I don't know when or where uh, or who's going to do it, but I imagine that that will happen at some stage. And yeah. um, that will be absolutely amazing, of course. Mm. Yeah, it's 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 a good but bad thing <laughs> because oh, – Yes, it's, yeah. Like, it's – it's nearly every year we just get better at cheating, <laughs> sort of. We, we do. We do. It does make it easy. But well, I guess, you know, like fish stocks are still are quite um, sust are still sustainable, but they definitely probably weren't as thick as what they were many, many years ago, of course, you know, when you could just go out anywhere and chuck a line over the side and, you know, catch a fish. But it has come to a level that is sort of regarded as sustainable, even though, Fisheries are trying to tell us otherwise at the moment with Spanish mackerel and that, but yeah. uh, that's another story. Yeah, we, I, want to, <laughs> I want to go into that with you because that's that's a yes, we will. <laughs> the one I want to talk about fish stocks a bit. I I think the save one of the saviors for the six fish stocks is social media, where people used to have to brag but bring it home. Yeah, they can brag, put it online, and release it. And exactly. a lot of the younger people these days is um, like they, they'll take a photo, drop it back in, and then show releasing it. People love seeing a fish get released. No one likes it, to see it a is. death pile. Who, exactly, who, mate. When, when someone puts a death pile up, who's like, yeah, wow. It's like, yeah. It's, it's, not, it's not like I'm jealous of seeing it. It's just like, I don't know, it's sort of. It's something you don't need to see anymore sort of thing. It's no, like exactly, because I think people are starting to realise there's no need to bring home 40, 50, 60, 70 fish uh, and let it sit in the freezer and half it go off and then give it to the neighbourhood because it's going off and, and all that sort of thing, you know. Uh, that's why with our videos and stuff, you, you only ever see us catch four or five fish each segment because that's all we do. And we only bring home one, sometimes none, you know. Um, and we show people how to, you know, we educate them a bit with barotrauma and all that sort of yeah. stuff and so that the fish do get a, a good chance of survival and, and all those sort of things. But that's why we only ever, you know, catch a – we only fish for one, two hours mostly on, on most of our days and then we go exploring islands, beaches and snorkeling and um, and all that kind of stuff, you know, and and, and quite often we're back by, by 2 o'clock um, yeah. instead of staying out all day because, you know, like I say, we are in our mid-50s even though we're both still pretty fit um it's um it does become very draining yeah. i wouldn't there's no way in the world i could go back to charters now no. um, <laughs> after getting out of that you know you, you, it's like that rhythm you know mm. and once you get out of any rhythm uh it's it's hard to come back as you get older and um i could i could probably do three days a week instead of six but <laughs> and they'd only be short days <laughs> i feel it now is like i go to the reef now i don't want to go over 10 knots because i you feel it. You feel like the, the hiding yes. you got on the way. To, it doesn't matter what size boat in. You're still going to cop a bit of a hiding. 
I know. That's why we're only really fair weather sailors now because, I mean, years ago, I didn't, I didn't care how rough it was. It was fun, you know. And um, we've been out in some pretty hairy situations where we've had five and six metre waves um, offshore and stuff. But, um, yeah, nowadays it's just dead. Yeah, we just go when it's sort of, you know, 10, 12 knots mostly. If it's 15s and above, that's it. We, we don't go. Uh, in the big boat, it's okay. But in, in, the, in the blue boat, we don't bother. It's just too painful at the end of the day. And I've actually, uh, at the moment, and I've had it for nearly a couple of years now, I've actually got a cyst growing inside my spine, all cord, and it's rubbing on the um, uh, it's rubbing on the nerves that go through that area. So yep. both my legs are tingling, and when I'm hooked up to a fish, I'm I'm in that much pain these days. It's not funny, and I don't chew on painkillers. I just ride it out because yep. I don't want to get stuck on that sort of stuff, you know, the painkillers and things. And and we've seen the specialists and that, and they don't want to operate on it yet until it gets worse. And I'm thinking, my God. <laughs> <laughs> what do we worse? have to wait for? <laughs> yeah, what is worse? You know, what is coming? So, yeah, it, it's, it's not that much fun while I'm catching the fish now. I still enjoy it, but the pain is is uh, it's not good. But, yeah, hopefully some stage in the next 12 months I might be able to get it sorted. I think the, the cyst, from what we said, what it sounds like it's and what we've seen on the MRIs and stuff, it's just in a bad spot. And, yeah. And it's an operation they don't want to really do unless they have to. So yeah. I've still got clearance there, but the small blockage at the moment is rubbing on some of the, the nerves, causing the tingling down the legs and yep. and, uh, and, and and sore where it is kind of thing that above my tailbone. Mm. Yeah, give you a bit of a sciatica sort of feel. I've, I, uh, had, yeah. Had it's, an the, accident. it's not the jiu-jitsu training and, uh, and neck. We both stuffed up and we both slipped and a fellow fell on my neck. And did like a back crushing injury and for like a month i couldn't feel my feet and yeah my leg was all tingly and stuff so it's <laughs> scary when that happens doesn't it <laughs> oh mate i've been very lucky all my life and I've, you know mid 50s i'm not on any medication for anything at all and i've never had a broken bone apart from a broken finger and i broke my toe at princess charlotte um last uh, few months ago now but um i've just been very very lucky all my life with with health and the medical side of things and now this things are you know, risen its ugly head. It's like, oh God, now I know how these people feel who get bad sciatica and all that sort of stuff, and mm. and you you can sort of sympathise with them a bit more. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've been watching but, uh, in the clips. You've been doing all your jigging under your arm, and even when you catch it, they're caught under your arm. You don't have to do the hip motion anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's why I'm trying to adjust myself a little bit to to avoid the maximum pain. You know, because it's lifting out in front is where most of it comes from. I mean, I can still run on a beach no problem at all um yeah. and do certain weights and stuff will punch a bag but the moment i do anything out in front of me bang there it is you know it's um it's nasty you'll have to, you'll have to get a bloody daiwa sponsorship and get um the, the tenacoms and that <laughs> and <electric. laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, i've I mean, actually got an electric reel here now we've got the deep dropping yeah uh going out catching the the, the deep water fish you know but uh, that's something we haven't been able to get around to uh, as well. But I, I, that's one thing I would like to start up here. I mean, you don't see it very often. Uh, very few people, or if any, are into it, is actually going out and doing the deep dropping up yep. here, um, catching the flamies and the rubies and the, all the other ooglies that live down there in that three, 400 metre mark. And You're nearly like and, a scientist uh, out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, that, mate. been seen before. <laughs> that's right, that's right. And And the best thing about that, to start these new fishing phases, I mean, wonky holes, I've started, as you probably know, I started all that craze, but 
that's sort of taken a bit of pressure off the reef at the same time. Yeah. Now everybody's driving around the middle of nowhere, burning up a bit of fuel, but finding some really nice little honey holes. And all our students are just taking, you know, they're, they're taking our teachings into account. They're just taking that couple of fish and then moving on and, and not braining. We're just taking home enough fish for the day to see, to satisfy their immediate needs for a couple of weeks, you know. Yeah. And it's really good to see, mate, how attitudes have changed. And by starting a, a deep dropping craze up here, I imagine um, a lot of the guys with the bigger boats, you know, seven, eight metre um, centre consoles and you know, centre cabs and all that sort of stuff will be would get into it once they see what's available out there. And it's, you're, it's you're quite talking, a lot of fun. You're talking to one right now. I've, I've bought a yeah. nine and a half metre aluminium <laughs> boat, so I'm keen <laughs> to get out there and do it. I've I done, I had an eight metre hooker. I went out and did it one day out there, and all I brought up was the green eyes <laughs> sharks. Oh, yeah, no, they can be a bit of a nuisance. <laughs> but over time, you get to understand what, you know, in that three and 400 metres of water, what the different schools of fish look like because, you know, sharks don't give you a very good reflection, whereas your demersals will mm. uh, and that kind of thing. So after over time, you can see the green eyes and you can see what's demersal, especially yeah. if you're running, you know, high power transducers, of course, as well with the lower frequencies. Yeah, um, that's the trouble I'm having at the moment. I just ordered a, because as you know, transducers are hard to get <laughs> at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I just ordered a one kilowatt one and it turned up two months later than it should have. And it's got no plug on it for me Garmin. It just come up with bare wires. Oh, okay. You've got to get a 12 pin junction box, mate. Yep. From um, yeah, and that'll have the the orange pin. Is it, is it a dual frequency one? Yeah, low high. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you'll need um, the twelve pin box, and you yep. just follow the instructions. Connect all those little wires into that box, and then on the end of your box, you'll have your twelve pin orange fitting to go back into your Garmin. Okay, so I was so. very pissed off because I told him it's for a Garmin. I just wanted a plug that went straight into the back of my <laughs> machine. Because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it'd be oh. nice. I hey. oh, you assholes. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't Garmin's fault. It was the people I dealt with. They lied to me. Yeah, before, and it'd be an MR transducer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much the same one you have on your little blue boat. I think that, that square boxy looking one, the one kilometer. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah I'd be, uh, you might have a, be, is it LM, low medium, or you got yeah. high, high, me no, high, low high medium? Yeah, low, no, low medium, yeah. Low medium. Is it 265? 265, that's one, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, good. Great transducers, mate. Brilliant. Yep. Mm. And then that's what I want to get into. You, you, um, I've seen a video where you talk about transducer placement. I'd love to see a bit more, one bit more in depth for the people who, yeah, even though you, you did show the angles and all that, it was pretty much exactly what I wanted to see, but yeah, transducer placement. We've been thinking about it, actually, because yeah. realistically, um, we could um, do a really in-depth uh, transducer uh, a blog um, because, you know, a lot of the other secrets in our course about all the sounders has got to do with their functionality and, and their applications for fishing. Transducer setup's not a massive secret, but you do have to get quite a few things right. So, yeah. you know, we, and we do have a blog out there at the moment, which was great for, you know, the beginners and see that setting them up properly. But there's quite a few other things you, you do need to take into account to get that maximum reading out of it. And, and we might even do that. Yeah, just um, stuff like like interference with other transducers and stuff like that. And yeah, um, sometimes your boat hull might be shaped a bit differently, so you have to get a bit deeper, lower than the bottom of the hull, and like so, four to five mil is 
what they usually say, but some holes create a bubble, so you have to go lower and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, to- it depends on what's in front of your transducer, mate, and, and mm. that can be like a strake that's further up the hull. Um, it can come from a, like a, a skin fitting that you might have underneath, especially with bigger boats. Um, and, well, of course, the faster you go, the further that interference and bubbles travel back before they mould into the hull and, and, or, and head to the side. And, of course, if you mount a transducer too far out to the side of your boat, when you get start to get a bit of a chop and your, your bow starts to bounce, okay. the further out to the sides of your boat, the more bubbles you have. Mm. So it's, it's imperative that you get your transducer reasonably close to your engine, you know, sort of three to 400 millimetres to one side is kind of perfect. Um, and there's a lot of fallacies out there too. Like you'll, you'll see a lot of people say and, and the manufacturers don't mount them on the port side of an outboard because of the, the way the prop rotates. It's going to cause cavitation and turbulence. That's not the case because the transducer is way in front of the engine. Mm. I think that was more for people who used to mount their transducers in front of propellers that were underneath the hull, like yeah. with um, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, and we, we, we've been, because i got three, you know, I've had three and four transducers hanging off my boats all these years doing various applications and, and things, and uh, we've mounted heaps of transducers on the port side, and honestly, mate, they're, it's brilliant. It's just as good as the starboard side, so yep. um, that's one thing people shouldn't have to worry too much about. Yep, and after we'll get back into, there's two things I want to talk to you, I reckon we could really get go to town on is sharks and uh, oh, mackerel. Yeah. <laughs> well, the sharks are a big one for every f- person that goes more than a kilometre off the beach <laughs> now. Yes, <laughs> it's, definitely. It's, uh, and I've, I've spoken about it before on the podcast. I believe it's called predation where yes. they just get used to – it's like ringing a bell. <laughs> Up there here well, in Dakota. Yeah, I think they've actually always been pretty smart because even, you know, back in the mackerel boat days, we always had our issues. We've always had our issues with sharks coming to boats. They've always been smart and clued up. But, you know, 11 years ago, they brought in those protection measures. And I've got no problems with protecting whites, tigers, hammers, threshers, makos, no issue whatsoever. But the whaler species is a different story. Mm. They have more pups. They're a, a very... Um, tuned in shark, they're very fast, they're aggressive, especially the bull shark. And that's yeah. our number one problem up here is the bull. Even though there's nine whaler species that have boomed in population since there's protection measures, because the commercial guys can't take their 10 anymore per line endorsement. They're only allowed one now, and it's got to be under 1.5, I think it is. Um, and, and, as, and it's caused a massive shark explosion, you know. Um, and basically now, as you would know, um, you can even go to a spot that you might only have yourself and it's like a wonky in the middle of nowhere, uh, that you've never in the past, we, all these little honey holes we used to find never had sharks on them. It wasn't until you, back in those days, it was like a wreck that was well known that was getting fished all the time by a number of boats. Those sort of areas used to be the issues where you would have shark problems, but not yep. to the extent that we have them today. No. Um, but now I'm going to these little spots and finding new little honey holes in the middle of nowhere, and we've got sharks on us straight away. And the, the thing is now the bulls and the, um, some of the bronzies and that now are massive. Their size is like we've never seen before. Yeah. It's, and as you guys know, and, uh, yeah, it's just becoming insane. And, and I think with the reason why we're not seeing so many swimmers attacked on our beaches and that is because of the, the crocodile 
um, explosion over the years is <laughs> no one swims on the beaches anymore <laughs> because of that. And that yeah. saves, saves a lot of shark attacks, in my opinion. <laughs> if you're in the shark in the stinger net, well, you're, you're fairly safe. You know, you yeah. might get Irukandji getting through or, or, the, or a few tentacles off a box sneaking their way through, but that's not going to kill you. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think people are, are taken out of harm's way from a lot of the sharks, except mm-hmm. some in snorkeling situations, there's been a, a few un- unlucky occurrences, as you know, down the, with Sundays there. Uh, but yeah, out the reef and that, if you stick to the shallows and, and that sort of thing, and, and if you're certainly not spearing, you've, you certainly, you've got no issues at all still, really. It's, it's, yeah. You'd have to be you have to be still pretty unlucky for a, a you know a big whaler to come in and, and bite you for no reason at all. Yeah, as a uh, as a sparrow, I have in the past ten years. Before that, I never seen a bull shark. I wouldn't even couldn't tell you what one looked I, like. Exactly, now, mate. And like I said, I, I, I retired from charters what three or four years ago, and in my last year of barra charters at Hinchinbrook, I lost over thirty meter plus barra plus others in the nineties and eighties to bull sharks. Yeah. And some of them are right up in the very shallows. And the year before that, I probably lost about 15. The year before that, I would have lost about six or seven. The year before that, two or three. The year before that, one, yeah. two, three, maybe. Yeah. The year before that, hardly saw them. The year before that, didn't know they existed. Yeah. So it's after this protection, these excessive protection measures they brought in. Yeah, fair enough. There, there is sharks endangered in other parts of the world and some of these other species like the hammerheads. Now, you don't see many hammerheads Aye. anymore because I'm thinking that because bulls, big bulls are predatory on other sharks. Mm. So, and I've actually seen them hunt down smaller sharks in the wild. And I think that there's a bit of footage on um, uh, the internet somewhere too of them biting, chasing down other hammerheads smaller hammerheads and, and, and eating them. So there's a good possibility that the disappearance of the hammerhead does have a, a little bit to do with the rise of the bull shark and, and the, the bronze is getting larger. But um, uh, yet yeah, I hate to think that is happening, but I, to be honest, personally, I do think it's part of the problem while we are seeing less hammerheads. And that's because we've changed the ecosystem. Yeah, and um, I, I, see, I sp- speak to people like uh, Ben Murray, Chris Bolton, they all share the same sentiments. It's just yeah, exactly, oh, mate. And we we all see the same patterns because we've all spent time on the ocean and we've had history with the ocean. And you know, it's just and like who, really who hasn't? Knowledge. <laughs> who hasn't? Yeah, the ones that bring in the rules. <laughs> 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 Pressured by the politicians to scratch the greens back for their vote. Yeah, you know? <laughs> um, that's what's going on with the Spanish mackerel fishery at the moment. Yeah, too. that's you what know, I was going to step into it. that. Yeah, <laughs> because of the the shark issue and now they've taken the sh- like ev- everyone used to buy fish and chips didn't know they were eating shark they thought they call it flake for a reason because yeah people don't want to say i'm eating a shark so they call yeah. it flake and they're like oh this is flake. nice and then what sort yeah. of fish is a flake <laughs> yeah exactly and that's really comes down to only a few species of those smaller ones especially from colder waters that don't have a lot of the iodine sort of through them, you know, the gummies and all that sort of thing. And I think they use, I think they use the sharp tooth whaler up here as well. I think they were netting them for some time for flake as well. I think they were a pretty good meat for the, the flake market, but I don't know whether that still goes on. I, I don't keep up with all the commercial rules and that sort of thing, but, um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, it, it's certainly becoming an issue, mate. And, uh, I think all these fisheries issues, I think they need to scrap, all the stuff to do with Spaniards and then the nannies are next and then the crayfish and then the red emperor, I believe. Uh, I think they need to put all that on the back burner and, 
I think they really need to fix the problem that they've created 11 years ago is fix Mm. the sharks because we're getting into the mackerel side of things, you know, like the the thing is dropping the bag limit even further or one of their options was to totally scrap it all together, you know, put them totally protected and then have these long, massive close seasons or have let you take one and and then have a massive close season as well. And now that they've now they're saying, oh, maybe two and a three month closure or one one per person and only a one month closure. And they're trying to compromise, but the figures just don't match up because there's no way that the biomass is down to 17%. No. Because I see it myself. I don't chase them much anymore. <laughs> Personally, I couldn't care if the, the bag limit came down to two, yeah. but not not totally scrap it and, and have these massive close seasons when it doesn't need to happen. And no. and to punish the commercial guys, I mean, Spanish in the northern part of Australia, Spanish has always been the staple fish used in the fish and chip shops. Yeah. Um, what, what are they going to replace that with? Spaniards bought from Indonesia or oh, bass from Thailand? Or they or? put more pressure on the other stocks. Soon other you stocks, you stock, know. Yeah, you've got to put more pressure on another stock. Exactly. And, and also, you know, mate, if they, if they bring the the bag limit down to one, if they let the shark bloody predation go insane, um, anglers are going to probably kill six or seven mackerel before they get their yeah. one anyway. <laughs> so what's that doesn't do a lot for biodiversity, does no. it? <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. It's just common sense. But unfortunately, you know, a lot of these things are politically driven and <laughs> uh, and there's people there who just implement it no matter what, you know, yeah. and, and we can see through it. By changing the, the mathematics and the figures, you can make them look like they're 17% or whether they're 90% yeah. the, the biomass. And, the, you know, they, they have changed the figures this time around compared to what they used to do. And two years ago, they were saying the Spanish mackerel stocks are extremely healthy. Well, since then, we've had COVID. And yeah. last year, as you would know, during that migratory period of those 8 to 10 kilo Spaniards that come up the shipping lane in droves, um, no one could get out because of there was... You know, between the early May and, and or sorry, mid-April to October 1, I think we had about seven or eight days where you could actually get out there. Yeah. The rest of the time, it was 20, 25, 30 knots uh, southeast as it was insane. And it's so, starting right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I'm actually, fingers crossed, we were hoping to get up to Lizard again one more time yep. uh, in the big boat, but... Yeah, it's, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> it's not the big boat, it's towing the blue boat that's yeah. the issue, you know. 30 knot seas, it's not fun, um, no. even though we have all the good gear and the tow rope set up to do that sort of stuff. But, yeah, let's, just, let's hope it doesn't happen, mate. You want to put bigger bilges in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Get a few frightened men on board with buckets. <laughs> let them go. Cut the tow yeah. rope and let them go with a bucket. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, mate, we do have a changing face in the fishery with all this stuff. And, and another thing that's annoyed me is with the mackerel is uh, the way they really want to bring this legislation in super fast because, you know, they're so endangered, yet they're like flies out there. And guys I know off cans here trying to uh, light tackle in earlier, uh, sorry, in, in June, July, August last year and September, you know, they were losing baits left, right and centre to Spaniards and people are still catching Spaniards when they could get out there last year. There was certainly yep. no problem with the with the uh, the fish docks and um, I, all of a sudden we have a problem. But, uh, yeah, it, it's mind-numbing, mate, how they think we come down in the last shower. How, how they come about it was having that d- dude, it's usually an old dude because everyone liked to 
doesn't like to up an old dude. <laughs> an old dude sitting at the boat ramp and he comes up and goes, hey, did you go fishing today? You get much? Yeah. Oh, did you just, you just try to get a mackerel? And if someone says yes and then, like, you, you don't know how good of a fisherman that person is. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> that right. Have had, had a luring at the mouth of the river on the banks and, yeah. and, and they were saying, oh, trying to get a, a Spanish mackerel and we didn't get one. So yep, they tried, but they didn't get one. And that's. They didn't get one. That's it. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I know, mate. The the, the way this, the the information the, the data is gathered and the and how it sort of transpires is is pretty twisted, really. And they can't tell how much the recreational fishery caught. Like I mentioned, you know, before we had COVID lockdowns, we've had bad weather during some of the prime periods out there. I mean, you know, and that's that's why the the recreational fishery um, hasn't caught too many mackerel. It's not because there's no mackerel out there. It's because no one's been able to get out there. Yeah. And, um, you know, I really feel, and like I said before, I feel sorry for these commercial guys um, as well, um, you know, having to have all these new crazy restrictions and it's basically going to close a lot of them down. Mm. Um, Especially Ben so. Murray told me the other day he spent over 20 grand on a license and then they're going to take it off and no reimbursement or anything. It's just gone. Yeah, that's what I haven't heard. So I haven't been right up to date with it all, mate, because we've been so busy here. Um, I've been wondering what they were going to do with the, the commercial guys and, and payouts and buyouts and stuff like that. But I haven't heard anything so far in, in all the, all the uh, discussions about that, you know. And I'll tell you what, they are going to do this. Um, well, they'll be mad to, honestly, because there's going to be such a – we are going to jump up and down about it yeah. big time because then they're going to move to the nannies. I mean, I couldn't even – I couldn't really care if they brought the nanny limit down a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, none of these stupid closures for months on end or, um, you know, one fish or maybe none and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, I've, I've, I fish, I've been fishing with the nannies for a long time and I've got, you know, wonky holes and that and things like that. And some spots that have worked did get a little hit pretty hard, but left alone, um, you know, after a year and a half or so you go back there and they're, they're covered again. Yeah. So we don't seem to have an issue with the transition of fish coming from the outer shelf into the inshore waters as they get a little bit larger, you know, um, so, yeah, mate, I, I don't really think we do have any issues with the fishery at the moment, but like I say, I, I couldn't care if they dropped it down a few more fish um, because realistically, you know, say four or five good nannies is, is plenty for one person uh, for a day. And then if you do want to take a little bit more fish, well, then you can go and chase some trout yeah, or uh, whatever it be, you know. Yeah. Um, What's your so, thoughts on- Like you said. Oh, sorry. Uh, what's your thoughts on with the coral trout? Do you think the finfish closures line up with their spawning because i've i've had some days where they're just full of row and they look like they're about to spawn and, and <laughs> they look like they've missed the closure have you noticed yeah mate i i, I know they um I, I think depending on weather and water temperatures and things like that too that spawning can be delayed a little bit in amongst the fish so yeah, it's something I've never really got into big time, but I, I have noticed the same things as what you're saying. We have caught them with plenty of row towards the end of the, the spawning cycle after the last closure and um, outside the times, you know, um, well, outside the time when they're supposed to spawn. Yep. So, yeah, it's um, a little bit contradictory. I think like, I, I mean, science is good in many aspects, but I think there's when you're dealing with nature and everything that's under the water, I think there's a lot of stuff there that's not correct. 
and no one mm. it's, it's like it's nature's so it's so unpredictable isn't it <laughs> to, to figure oh, out for sure about. <laughs> it's just like the coral mate you know we've got yeah. the same thing going on with the coral I mean, we were just about to release the footage in a few weeks on one of our blogs, but the coral we have found up off Cooktown only uh, two weeks ago is insane. You have not seen coral reef like it. The coral reef was covered. It had great coverage all across it. You can see all the colours by drone everywhere, yep. uh, except right up in the atoll as usual. It's always been like that. But, um, and, you know, that's just survived a very poor wet season with very little cloud cover and a lot of those bombies were coming out of the water at low tide yeah and and what was supposed to have been a really bad year for bleaching yeah now what's gone wrong there yeah. <laughs> i mean nothing's gone wrong it's great <laughs> the coral is really really well and yeah. last just last week the great barrier reef foundation and aims have been backpedaling a bit saying oh now we think you know the coral's a little bit more resilient to the bleaching <laughs> and this that and the other well, you know, we've just spent millions of dollars in research for how many years? Yeah. Um, you know, I do, I do think, you know, there's corruption and everything, mate, yeah. you know, and, and it doesn't change in science. They want their funding. If there's uh, nothing to scream about, there's uh, no funding. It's so the, the whole system's fucked up in that way. It's it is. like everything's is. just to, to revolve around getting more funding. So they've got yes. to fucking talk more shit to get more funding sorry if i'm swearing too much but i get pissed off sort of beautiful <laughs> sorry mate i've been holding back <laughs> it's, it's red tape red tape yes fucked every industry it and has mate. So it has to like, it has. there's no i don't know how you can pull it up because it, red tape creates jobs at the end of this yes. that's what it does exactly and just think if we didn't have to have those jobs created Think of where the money could go yeah. to, you know, people that are really suffering, struggling, health more, that's that kind of stuff, building more hospitals, whatever. And also but, put, um, put back into where it should go. The reef. Well, yeah, exactly. Exactly, <laughs> mate. Yeah. <laughs> well, it doesn't doesn't really need to be by the sound of it because what we've seen out there lately, it's pretty bloody good. <laughs> uh, the main one you, everyone should be worrying about is plastic. That's, yes. that's, that's the one that's fucking the reef. And that's what I was going to talk to you about it. Yeah, exactly, mate. I was going to talk to you about that because Karen and I, as you know, and Azenstrick and all those guys that do what we do, they, they would see the same thing. Um, there's remote places up past Cape Flattery on all those beaches, uh, especially in the corners of the headlands where the beaches meet the headlands. Yeah. Mate, the rubbish, the plastic is insane. Yeah. It's two metres high. It runs for hundreds of metres in, in, or 100 metres in the corners, but along yep. the whole beaches now, Every 30 centimetres, there's a thong, a kid's toy, a commercial basket, a, yeah. uh, uh, a boy, um, there's all sorts of, you name it, it's there. It's mm. there. You know, 10 kilo bags of cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it was there. It was, anyway. it was there until I sold it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, we've been thinking about, I mean, there are a couple of groups now that are starting to do these reef cleanups. Parley um, one is Parley. Yeah. yeah, they're one of them. Uh, blue, something blue. Oh, what's your name? Oh, Karen mentioned it to me the other day. Uh, um, heads all over the place at the moment. But um, we've been thinking of linking up with maybe one of those groups or trying to advertise and get a bunch of rec reckies to come up with us and try and get some sponsorship from the government to bring a barge up mm. and a day where we all spend, you know, a day walking a beach and picking it up, getting it in one area and offloading it. And in some of those areas up there through the silica dunes, there's also tracks leading out to the beaches yeah. um, as well. So, 
Yeah, it's something we've been talking about, and um, plastic is a major issue. And it's not just that; it's the microplastics too, yeah. um, which are starting to get into the in, into the fish's internals and turtles and stuff like that. And mm. it's and such a shame, you know. And I was listening to a Rogan podcast on it, and the lady got on there and she talked about how plastic affects humans. And over yeah. the years, the more plastic we've intake is it's made our gooch smaller between our asshole and our balls, whatever. It's <laughs> so we're actually all that plastic is making us like less of men, less of women, and like you, you actually you, they're saying your ball size smalls, your dick gets smaller, all this crazy shit. Like it's it's so out there, but she's an actual scientist. Rocky, I must have kept away from it then. <laughs> <laughs> well, my mum fed me through a plastic bottle my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I haven't seen that mate but but i wouldn't be surprised what it does to our bodies as well exactly yeah, and and like i say it's creeping into everything it's just getting mm. passed down the food chains and and stuff like that and and us as fishermen you know gone on the, like you say gone on the days of the mentality of fish 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 catch 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 kill 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 forget the rest of the environment you know throw a big heap of line over the side all this, oh, there's a plastic bait bag, throw that over the side, yeah. you know. I think a lot of that mentality is gone. <laughs> yeah. And I think a lot of people are realising life's too short and there's really other things out there in nature to get into and enjoy and go and see. Mm. And that's why I've got such an interest in these shipwrecks and everything up there and we, we do a lot of beach combing and, and, and all that kind of thing as well and, and just being around beautiful places, you know, like the headlands and all that north of Cooktown or wherever it be up in the Northern Territory on some of those beautiful Red Cliff beaches and stuff like that. It's just insane scenery. And and that's, that's oh, I get more out of that than I do the fishing now, to be honest. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I have fished all my life. I still enjoy it, but it's not like I have to go and do it, you yeah. know. Um, we do it for a little bit of content and we do it to bring one fish home to, to eat, you know, and I'll keep a few for mum from time to time. And, and that's about it for us, you know, and that's how we live our life. And I think a lot of people should... Well, a lot of people are starting to realise that and follow that, and that's why we do what we do. Yeah, I think COVID's really opened the bag for a lot of people. They've just realised, yeah. hey, hey, there's Australia here as well. And yes, like, who knew, besides you and a few of the people I know, what was north of Cooktown? Like yeah. those dunes and what's up there is it is so beautiful. That is like the most pristine country in the world. Like this, yeah. <laughs> Like the big rolling dunes. I've got footage on one of mine where they just go forever, and they, some of them look yeah. like ice capped mountains. How big, how high they are. <laughs> That's right. That's it. I mean, it pauses for a little bit around Cape Melville, but then as you you know get a bit further north, there's a bit more of it and that sort of stuff. And there's that much silica up there, and as you know, the, the Cape Flattery mine supplies you know a very large percentage of the world's glass, and mm. um, it's endless. We'll never run out of glass. Put it that no. way. <laughs> Even like, I don't reckon I'll run out because you ever, when you try to walk to the top of one of those, it's like, I'm not fucking doing this again. Yeah, that's right. And then, as far as the eye can see, you know, and uh, that's it, mate. Small steps. That's, that's, that's the trick. I found out you got to do very small steps. Yes. <laughs> takes it out of you. For sure. And the so, heat. So, getting back to your uh, courses, I've, uh, mm -hmm. I've bought the. Uh, I think it's the fish finder course and the yep. wonky hole course. I'm halfway through the wonky hole course at the moment. So yep. get back onto it because um, it's the time of the year to do it. But I, I like yep. to I'll make do it and jump and go on the boat the next day sort of thing. So it's yeah. fresh in mind, but I, you can't do it when it's weather like this. 
That's it. And that's another reason we made it online too, mate, because it's not just like you go into a weekend webinar or something like that or a seminar where you, once you walk out, it's like, oh, what did he say again? Yeah. So that's why we do it online because our students go over and over and over. And each time they go through the course, they pick new things up, especially yeah. the big longer courses like Barra Basics and that, you know, they, um, it's so good having it online. But when we first started, people said, no, oh, how are you going to teach fishing online? Yeah. You know? But we have conceptual videos where we break it all down. Um, with um, figures and, and um, you know, displays and all this sort of stuff. And then we go out into the field and we do a demo video for each of those and we show it happening out in the field. And uh, that's the best part about it, mate. It's like you are actually there. Yeah. And, like, they, the price of the course is not even close to the price you would spend learning all that. <laughs> so oh, that's what I mean, mate. For a lifetime of someone's knowledge who's lived on the water, what's it worth? I mean, we know it's too cheap, but but we sort of had to make a medium there, you know, and we, we of course, didn't – yeah, that's what I mean. We want, you know, mums and dads to inspire their kids and get them out fishing and actually catch a fish to get the kids excited and that sort of stuff and teach them sustainability and, and all this sort of thing as well and – and that's why we've kept it at them at price ranges where we can still go forward with our business. You know, we're supporting six other families plus contractors. Um, we're creeping up slowly. Our income each year as well still going up and ready for our retirement. So it's, it's not like we charge way too much that most people can't afford it. And it's not like we're giving it away too cheap that we can't run our business. So yeah, well, I think we've got the happy medium. Yeah, the way um, I explain it is, there's, there's a fellow who used to, he retired, he was working on a big ship and one day the big ship broke down and he was retired and they couldn't get it started. So they rang up this fellow and said, can you come out of retirement? We need you to come start the ship because no one knows how to start it. So he walked in with just a, a two-pound hammer, walked up the centre of the ship in the motor and just plonked it in the middle and then the motor started. <laughs> anyway, when he got home, he started. He sent him a bill for ten thousand dollars, and they're like, "That was too expensive." He said it was nine uh, nine thousand nine hundred ninety five dollars for um ah it was five dollars for the hammer and nine thousand nine hundred ninety five dollars for knowing where to hit. <laughs> exactly, mate. <laughs> how, how you can break it down with your courses? It's like exactly the same thing. That's right. You know, the same thing happened with my dad. He was in the copper refinery for 35 years and in the um, casting house, he was one of the bosses there and he, you know, he came through the ranks, of course, and they had these old temperamental furnaces with a 45 years old and, um, of course, they don't start like a brand new one starts and they made all the old fellas redundant and they brought all these young fellas in from uni and they were trying to play with these 45 year old furnaces and they couldn't get them started and this, that and the other. So what, what did they do? Dad gets a call, comes on in, and had to show them all how to do it. Yeah. So it's the same kind of thing. Yeah, and then, then they <laughs> kick me out the door again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so you, I've, I've seen in your last video you're, gonna, you're starting to do another course. So it looks like you're doing one for live bait fishing. Yeah, mate. We decided to do that. We had a lot of people asking years ago. It's been in the making for a while, but it's one of those things that gets put on the back burner. Um, but we're finally going to bring it to fruition. Originally, we were just going to do like a, a, a cheap, you know, $30 course and basically just do a bunch of PowerPoint presentations. But as usual now, we've got better cameras, we've got drones now, and, and we can explain so much more, so much better. So we're making a little bit more in-depth 
um, and I'm um, going to try and keep it, you know, under that $199 mark somewhere. Um, but it's pretty comprehensive because many people can't catch bait at the best of times, let alone at high tide. Yep. And, and we've got all the secrets in how to catch bait at high tide as well yeah. uh, in many different areas as, and all that sort of stuff. Because as a charter operator, I had to grow up. When I first started charters and I didn't know what I know now, there was times I'd be up at 3 a.m. in the morning and I'd be going catching prawns down the upper reaches of the bowl and aerating them and taking them across the bay to, to Crocky where they knew there was a heap of um, barras, but there was no prawns. Yeah. So if we produced, put the prawns in front of them over there, we would just get insane bites, 20, 30 fish off a spot, you know. Yeah. Of course, we released um, most of them back in those days too. Uh, and so it's because I didn't know where to catch prawns at high tide or in a river that seems like it has no prawns in it. Mm. But over time, I developed those skills where I didn't have to do that any longer. So I just picked the people up at six, seven o'clock, off we went, caught me bait and done. Yeah. Because I did start uh, in the early days, I was just more of a live baiter and, and troller kind of thing and, and a little bit of hand casting. Um, <laughs> Wait, you like me. You're like me, you just like drinking piss, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> that's all that's all I, I used to love line, um trolling and bloody li um live baiting because you it's had a, a bit more relaxing drink. <laughs> yeah yeah for sure <laughs> but then i'd sort of but the best thing about understanding how live bait and this kind of where live bait were and when is because then you would work out also where predators would be yeah and um, and then also when you were using them out on the fishing spots because it was so effective, especially back in the day, that I knew exactly when the those fish or or type of fish were leaving the river at what time of the tide, and I put yep. those patterns together because we were catching them on liveies, so yep. I knew when to be there. So then we adjusted it to lures and plastics, and um, of course nowadays I just mostly. I, I flick shallow divers in places you wouldn't believe and catch meter long barra. Yeah. Um, fishing outside the box, as, as a lot of the barra students would know. Yeah. And uh, whereas years ago, it was just a matter of drifting along a shallow, snaggy bank and catching a few rats, yeah. um, <laughs> throwing its little lures at structure, you know. But now that's changed a hell of a lot. And that's just like anything. Over time, I've grown and I've grown my knowledge, being yep. out there observing and watching, learning. Yeah. So, what sort of you got? Barra basics, sounder skills, wonkies, finger mark. These are the ones that were just off the top of my head where I was. I was trying to write them down. Is there any? Uh, did I miss any? Uh yeah, mate. We got threadfin tactics as well. Oh, threadfin. Um, and sounder sounder skills. We got two courses. We got one and two. Sounder skills one is a twenty dollar introductory course. Um, it's to get beginners. Not so much beginners. We get a lot of comments from people who've been fishing for many many years that say, well, "I didn't take those factors into account." Mm. So it's not actually one for, you know, the super beginners. It's Sounder Skills ones, even for people who've been using Sounders for a while. Like and that's just a $20. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a $20 course, and it talks about scale, um, scroll speed, and uh, boat speed, and how those factors interact and how they, the, how they make fish sizes change and what you see on the screen differently. So, so by understanding those factors, you know when you're manipulating what you see on the screen. And then what, when people understand that, then they can move on to the super advanced course, which is Sounder Skills 2. Yeah, I think one thing they all Sounder manufacturers haven't done is really have but quick access buttons for those. Those um, I just think like scroll speed is a big one where you're traveling, you want it fast as possible when you slow it down as you're but 
that there's no quick access button. You got to go through four. You got to go through a menu. That and it's yeah, that, that's right. It's a bit shit. I reckon. Yeah. If there's anyone in the world to um, change that, I'm talking to him. <laughs> <laughs> I can suggest it. <laughs> I mean, you can run your scroll speed on auto, but as your boat speed slows down, it slows down as well, and it's different between other different brands and their processes that they have in them. And I find a lot of the time when people slow down to those lovely assessment speeds down low, the scroll goes too slow yeah. and it can make fish arches or blobs blend in with other things. Um, and you're not seeing, you're not seeing the, because the arch is so compressed together, you're not seeing the depth of that arch, which yeah. is what really gives you the full understanding of how big that fish is. So, yeah, that's a lot of people know Sound of Skills 2 is the big advanced course. Um, but it always pays to do number one first. It's only 20 bucks. <laughs> I've got a, with the Threadfin Tactics talk, uh, my father, we used to go to Crumba when I was kids, and you, if you've ever been to Crumba before it was Crumba, it was uh, before the, 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 where the tavern and that is, that was just a big sand bank. And yeah. you could fish there, and it was endless grunter, endless salmon, king salmon, as many as you wanted. And there was just there was tent city out on that on the on along where the pub is there, and we went there before even the tent city really started. I would have been probably five or six, so we went out there and they they camped out in front of the airport. And there's a big mud flat that goes out for like kilometres, and it um and the and and so we camped there. We picked the wrong spot. <laughs> because the tide <laughs> the tide went out, you, had walk, you had to walk like a kilometer to get to your boat. But yeah, so right. our boy went out, and they didn't even know what a king salmon was because they come. They, he grew mm. up on the Tweed on the Gold Coast, and wasn't many down that way. So they went right out. They caught like four or five, like one point five meter bloody king salmon, the huge bastards. And they they drug them in about eight hundred meters across them, and they didn't know what they were, and they'll. Oh, fuck. they just threw them because they didn't. And when they got back to the ramp, they explained to a follower what they caught, and they're like, "They're one of the best eaten fish." <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they they are. They're delicious. Yeah, they said oh, they ran out of stamina. They couldn't carry them any further. <laughs> <laughs> and the best thing about threadies is, like, yeah, as you know, many fish uh, will, um, as they get to their their you know their their adult sizes, they start to curl up in the pan and and get a bit sinewy and gristly and that kind of stuff, and. Um, the thread fin, they carry their good eating all the way through. Mm. Um, that's the best thing about threadies. They got that big knuckle in their backbone what's a, gets every filler. That's it. <laughs> yeah. We, well, we've actually got a blog on that, how to fill yeah. out a thread fin and to yeah. avoid the nodules. So. <laughs> <laughs> I have to watch that one. Actually, I haven't caught a Real. thread fin for years because it's just mm. – I haven't, actually haven't watched the course. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just remember from being out there – you knew when you got a thread fin because your sink would fly straight up your line. You sink. Yeah. They used to just smash the bait and the sinker that you have a round ball or a um, bean sinker, and it would just fly straight up and hit the tip of your rod. It would just sometimes they, that could happen because they're actually swimming to the side and then they come tight. Yeah, yeah, because they they're notorious for that, especially if you're live baiting. It's a bit yeah. different vibing or or dropping plastics on them, that sort of thing, but. Um, but yeah, no, they. I, I found that with live baiting, you had to be very much on the ball with them, mm. and we had to fish a certain way um, with the reel in gear and all that sort of stuff, and um, to be able to see what's going on and and know when they're doing it, and then know when to crank like crazy in the rod hole to catch up to them. Yeah, yeah. And what about um, the big Jews? Even though they're pretty much 
they like they got a big close season on them now too don't they yeah they as soon as the commercial quota is reached in queensland um it's off they're off limits to everybody yep. recreational and um commercial and the last the first couple of seasons they'd done that i think it was the 31st of january the commercial quota was reached yeah um but uh, this year it's been going on for for quite some time so uh when it's going to get reached i don't know and why maybe it's got something to do with covid and supply and stuff why they're you know they're, they're not fishing for them as much i'm not sure um but they are a fish that is fairly susceptible to can be susceptible to overfishing and can be very susceptible to barotrauma as well yeah um even as you know in 10 meters of water so and they because they um, like the depth too in the rivers they always sit in the, the deep holes don't they yes exactly exactly <laughs> and uh i don't mind you know there's certain species out there that i certainly don't mind seeing that extra protection for you know and and that but certainly a lot of our species are, are very well um sustainable in my opinion and a lot of other people's opinion at the moment um and no need to go doing crazy restrictions and on on anglers you know yeah um they're probably probably the biggest fish you can catch too overall i think why well, i've got a photo of my grandfather holding one he was about 1.6 meters tall and it was over his head he was holding yeah yeah Dewey's, big fish. as far as inch yeah i oh, definitely might as far as demersal species go they would have to be probably the longest and and biggest fish of, of, of our coastline yeah um i would imagine yeah and they, they they're biting times they only seem to bite like on the full moon or around the full moon time they can be finicky um we used to get them in hinchinbrook in august and uh, if you weren't there at a certain part of the tide um, yeah. they wouldn't bite you'd be sitting on them for three hours and you go oh, these things aren't going to bite but but by understanding them once it's like any species once you got to understand them you pardon me you knew when they would bite and um the better parts of the moon phases where you, where you would get better runs at them yeah and one before we leave because obviously we're i'm chewing up all your time here mate <laughs> oh that's okay mate it's pouring rain so i'm only in the office <laughs> oh we, we were talking pretty political before but what are your thoughts on green zones like i've got my thoughts i'd just like to hear yours mate to start off with because i was punished pretty bad and we were the guinea pigs for marine park closures in australia uh, with the introduction of the marine park zones um i had an eight meter center console then i wasn't fishing all the way out the reef i was fishing that's when i first you know fishing wonkies and coral isolates in the paddock so it only took 50 minutes to get there the guys could catch a, a nice little feed of fish and some quality fish and straight back in again i had low fuel costs i could make some profit out of it yep uh, not too many people make that much money out of charter boats um it's it's a mug, bit of a mugs well i won't say mugs because i know a lot of the guys and they're great guys but i was one of those mugs <laughs> i was gonna say you were one of those mugs <laughs> yeah, yeah but a lot of guys start and and fall away by the wayside you know it just doesn't work you know yeah you have to be very good at what you do um marketing helps a little bit more getting a name for yourself that kind of thing unless you're one of the busier operators it's it's um, a hard industry to be in and then the busier operators um they kind of eventually over time will struggle with um exhaustion the sun this that the other uh, a bit like me as soon as i turned 50 my body said nah you've had too much <laughs> vitamin d you're out <laughs> <laughs> I was coming home, crashing out on the lounge for a couple of hours before I'd go and wash the boat. Karen was washing it half the time for me. Um, <laughs> maybe I played on that a little bit, but <laughs> no. Uh, you know, and it did. It, it took its toll eventually. 
And even now, I do three days in a row out there, like when we go do our trips to Cooktown and wherever. By the end of the third day, it's like, whoa, you know, it's not so much my fitness, it's like just drained and the sun. And I mean, we do fish under umbrella when it gets really bad. And then we cover up as much as we can, kind of thing as well. Try to be a little bit sun smart and uh, and that sort of thing. But the reflection coming off the water, whether you've got umbrellas, canopies or not, it still takes its toll. And especially as you you get uh, to your you know latest or past your middle middle age anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got we all got it to look forward to. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. My yeah. thoughts with the green zones where oh. we they're not pushing the um I don't know, they they shut down a lot instead of just shutting down a few. And I don't know, I think rotation would help a bit. I, I agree. Know. Yeah, mate. I agree with that. Um because years ago they used to have these zones, uh, what do they call them again? Oh geez, they, they don't have them anymore. I think that was the experiment, the oh, early like experiment for introducing zone or something, whatever. They oh, they had on the charts. They just had like a black dotted line around them where they were closed for three years or four years, like Bramble, yeah. and then they reopened it. Yeah, and then of course everyone in there and sm- every commercial yeah. and Ricky from all around went and smashed it in no time at all. So I think that was maybe a bit of an experiment for them to to see what was going to happen with green zones. Um, to start with, I was I was very much against it totally because I was heavily targeted. Um, I lost 92% of my fishing grounds. People down south had the, with all the bad media, all thought that fishing was actually, you couldn't fish anymore in northern Queensland. Mm. Um, our charters, we had all my regulars ringing up, oh, I've heard you can't fish up there anymore. What are you going to do? You know, no, mate, we can still fish, you know, come up, you know, and that was even guys doing the barra fishing. Yeah. Not just the outside, you know, <laughs> and, uh, it was that's media. Media's got a lot to answer for in many different aspects, oh. I guess, as we all know. <laughs> um, and um, and you know, but over time, I, I, yeah, fair enough. I don't mind seeing a percentage being turned into green, but I think they went a little bit too high because it's created such a displacement issue. Oh, everybody in smaller areas. Yes, and um, and that's another thing with these sharks um, and the mackerel count. Yeah, they're comparing the mackerel count to nineteen seventy or whatever it was way back yeah. in the early century, uh, back when we had no green zones. So they haven't taken into account fish that are in that one third area yeah. or the statistics <laughs> from fishermen from that one third area that's closed. You know, um, and and yeah, it's I, I wouldn't I don't mind seeing a percentage protected, and it would be great to have it rotational because. As you know, Karen and I, we do a lot of snorkeling and diving and swimming on the reef and stuff and fishing and watching the sounder as we drive through green zones. And honestly, mate, there are green zones out there. It's barren. Yeah. There's not many. You, you hardly see anything. Uh, and there's a couple that, that we've been through that have been riddled with fish, like Taylor and all that off mission. Taylor and... Um, 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 oh, beaver, K, sort of beaver, beaver. Yeah, I've been. You go through there and have a look. I mean, it's insane. Mm. Uh, and I've been through some others that are insane, but we've been through quite a lot of green zones where you've hard, we've hardly seen a fish on the sounder. Yeah, um, and less than green, uh, less than reefs that are open and still being t- hit by fishermen. Yeah, and uh, you know, and and I think you know the, the authorities and the government and all these departments need to realise that. Fishermen are making, are accepting these changes over the years, but there comes a time and a limit, and there's only so much bullshit we will take yeah. as well. 
And and I think that's all starting to come to a head and they've got to realise that. And, and with the coral as well. I mean, yes, there are parts out there where the coral is absolutely dead, especially on the, the south and eastern faces a lot of the time where they they get pummeled by the prevailing winds. Well, so you've got three, three, three and a half metre waves during 30, 35 knot trades. We've got cyclones, low pressure systems that create four and five metre waves and six metre waves smashing onto them. It's like the outer barrier on the ribbons. It's so narrow. Then that the outside just gets smashed and all that mm. dead coral rolls over to the back. So in behind the reef, there's a lot of dead coral. And that was like that 35 years ago when I first yeah. started swimming on the reef. I don't see a change. Yep. Um, you know, personally, I haven't seen a change in the reef. And um, that's why it's been pretty hard to stomach all the stuff. Whereas my wife, a marine biologist, um, she kind of, you know, still agrees a bit with the science. But lately, she's starting to listen to me a bit more and starting to kind of see the other side of the story. Um and um, I'm not saying I'm 100% correct, but it just it's just like anything, the powers of observation over yeah. time. Mm. And, of course, the, 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 like I said, the, the, the leading faces to the prevailing winds are all, have always been battered. Yep. You know, down a bit deeper, not too bad. Then you get a cyclone and then all the coral, six, seven, eight, nine, ten metres down, it then gets smashed to pieces yeah. and it gets rolled up onto the reef flat. And it ends up out the back. The parrotfish turn it into sand, creates a sand cave. Some of the coral, depending on how long this bad weather goes for, keeps on rolling and ends up in the back reef as well. I've seen so it's just a I've, cycle. I've seen brain coral that I, I speared have marked and have crayfish on them. I've come back after a cyclone, they're upside down. Yes. <laughs> They've actually been tipped upside down. And I'm like, holy hell, what, what has hit mm. this? What, what size wave has hit this? <laughs> I know you look. You got to look at some of those porite corals. They're just yeah. massive. Uh, they're massive mounds, and you think, how the hell could something move that? But they when you think about it, you ton. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Yongala was rolled on its side during Cyclone Yasi, and it's in twenty-eight meters of water. Yeah. <laughs> so you think of, and I believe there was like up to twelve meter waves. Yep. Um, down in that particular part, being south of a Category Five, it was in the prime area to receive the massive waves. Mm. And you think of the how many tons of water are in those waves when they roll. Yeah. The percussion underwater is insane. Mm. Um, no, no wonder it, it moved and, and all the wonky holes at Cape Bowling Green all filled in and off Townsville, a lot of them filled in and, and quite a few still haven't recovered, you know. And yep. That's why there's no, no Cape Bowling Green billfish grounds, which were once world famous. There's nothing there anymore. Yeah, there's no the more because because yeah, well yeah, the yakas, pillies, and the herring love hanging around wonkies, and that's what mm. was down there, and that's what brought the bait fish there. That's what brought the marlin there. That's what brought the spaniards and sailfish and everything else. Yeah, mm. and talking about waves because I love surfing out the back there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, got, I I surf out the back here every time a low or something comes through. So have you seen any other reefs? Where you've seen a crack a wave where you think, hey, this is like um, television here. <laughs> <laughs> Pardon me. Uh, yeah, I have seen various places on the outer barrier when you have lows out in the Coral Sea and that where you have the big ocean swell coming in. Um, I just, I think I've seen quite a bit of it, so I just can't pinpoint where I saw the best. But one yeah. of the most fascinating ones was in, around that uh, March-April period um, up at Lizard Island, you get... Uh, offshore, not so much inshore because it's a bit more protected, but you can get periods of very large northwesterlies, yep. really big ones. So with a point where every boat in Anchor Bay, yeah. whether it's a dinghy, the dive boat, the game boat or whatever it is, the hire boats, they've all got to get taken around the other side of the island because otherwise everyone's going to end up on the beach. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But 
I, I've never really certain living up here, getting brought up up here, mate. I've I've never sort of got brought up with surfing, but you know where I did. I'm not a brilliant surfer, <laughs> but I'm a good body surfer. But yep. you know where I did learn how to surf. Um, Lizard Island, Lizard Island. In, LA, in a big <laughs> northwesterly over the reef flat. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of the best waves I've seen yeah. um, as far as up here goes is uh, in Anchor Bay itself during big northwesterlies. I've actually had another friend that tell me that the northerlies up there really are really good. And every time I, a, a surfer hears a northerly, they just like put their board away. It's just shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> On the coastline. Yeah. Would, yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, then I've, I've heard all, all northerlies up that way just crack. Yeah, so. yeah, because I think, uh, well, especially where Lizard is um, and you look to the northwest, you, you've got sort of Cape Melville and then the coastline juts in even further. So yeah. I think there's just Big such a long area of, of build, yeah, of, of the waves for the waves to build, you know. Yep. And they, I've seen them nearly to three metres and, yep. and um, yeah, they just come in and start rolling on that flat there and, um, yeah, quite insane, actually. It blew me away. And a lot of the guys, the staff there over the years have been surfing it and when it happens. Yeah. And um, I got to do it a couple of times. That was it. <laughs> but no, I'm not a good surfer at all. <laughs> I'll stick to body surfing. <laughs> there's a, there's actually a, a, it's, uh, an island out of here. I won't mention it, but it's in the exact same direction and everything. And yeah, yeah. And surf that on a on – because a, okay. it's just got a swell that wraps around it. And yep. it, it actually yeah, is a perfect, perfect wave as well. So there's yeah, righto. a few spots, but just the, like on the Gold Coast, whatever, you get waves every day. Up here, it's just like once or twice a year, you get this perfect That's, angle. And <laughs> yeah, ex exactly. Unless you're prepared to do it on a outer reef flat or yeah. something like that, where you could come you could come to grief, I guess, a little bit. But <laughs> I've, I've come uh, to grief a few times. <laughs> <laughs> Take the better Dean with you. <laughs> I've, lost, no, I've lost boards into a into the reef and the thing with yeah. I, I say surfing out there is when you surf waves down the gold coast stuff you catch a wave and then you end up and if you're in trouble you swim back to the beach but yeah. you actually you so say you catch a wave at the reef you get catch one in and then all of a sudden you lose your board or you get injured you got to swim back out past those waves to get to your boat <laughs> that would be difficult. Yeah. <laughs> you, you want to do it on one end of the reef where yeah. they first start to break so you don't have to go so far. Well, that's what I try yeah. to do. I try to pick it so there's a channel not far and try to put the boat in the channel so you don't have to swim as far. Yeah. But I, I found on the last cyclone we went out, there was because it was a Category 5 but it headed back out towards Vanuatu, it, yeah. it sent waves every half an hour. There would be just this rogue set bigger, that comes through. And yes, just, yes. I had a boat parked in about 12 to 15 metres of water and I looked out to sea and there was a crashing wave going towards my boat. Like, that's how big they were breaking. And I was like, breaking. holy shit. So I had to <laughs> swim back out and move the boat out another 500 metres. So then the boat's about six, 700 metres out to sea. <laughs> <laughs> and you're on the back of the reef and you just look like a big turtle swimming back to the boat. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's some big nasties out there. <laughs> I remember a story. One of the boats up there, they thought it was a um, a whale shark swimming along and they all had their snorkels ready and jumped over and turned out to be a big tiger. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. 
powers of observation first that come into play there. That's that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've had the opposite. I had a, I thought it was a big tiger coming out of the depths at me and it was a big whale shark. So I was glad that happened. Oh, cool. <laughs> well, Karen, I swam with a couple up there, but Karen actually, but being uh, from Brisbane originally, she got to swim with her first one when we came back from Princess Charlotte in late October. Yep. Um, or mid-October. Yeah. I've so seen, that, seen uh, that video. It's a, that, was a, that was a ripper. Yeah, that's one of the bucket list things. Antarctic's next. We're going to head down there. Hopefully, uh, in two years' time, we're going to yeah. go and do a trip to Antarctica. Yeah, Take the boat down? No. <laughs> no, not that one. No, we'll be going on a big one. <laughs> Pay the dollars. <laughs> Pay the money. <laughs> Don't <Yeah>. steer the ship. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> I think we're going to go. It's called the Titanic Tours or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Biggest boat we can find. <laughs> well, mate, so. this has been a bloody good chat. I'm going to not suck up any more of your time. We're about an hour and a half in, so we've, we've spoken. That's all right, mate. Not a, not a problem, mate. My pleasure. <laughs> but if anyone wants to see your courses, where do they see you, find your Mate, course? just head to uh, com, and, um, yeah, all the info's on there. And, of course, we've got the blogs and uh, travels and tips, with tips and travels. We do like – I mean, we've done quite a lot of tips, you know, but sooner or later you start running out of the stuff before you have to give away the stuff that makes our income. Yeah. Um, so we, we kind of avoid the real, the real juicy, juicy stuff. But our tips help out a lot of anglers and um, – that's the best part about it and we're starting to enjoy doing more of the travels now and showing people our country and and uh, the reason why they should be traveling in it and and getting outdoors a lot more so yeah that's mm. that's awesome also you're on facebook and insta and all that sort of stuff yeah facebook and insta mate yep as well um i think the girls are starting we started a bit late on in we've only been going a little while on insta it's going it's growing very well though um, it's a pity we didn't start years before like everybody else, but um, we put all our eggs in the Facebook basket to start yeah. with and um, we, we run, run more off an email list, you know, getting people to join our club kind of thing and, yeah. and uh, that's, that's how we kind of market ourselves over other people a bit more. But, um, but yeah, mate, uh, yeah, on both platforms and I think the girls are lining up TikTok so to put all this stuff on there. <laughs> so I'm thinking TikTok, isn't that for young people to do silly things on? <laughs> <laughs> I'll ride up your alley then. <laughs> yeah, mate. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I didn't think it was for um, older knuckleheads like myself. So, uh, but anyway, it'll go. We'll see how it goes. We might get a bit of a following there. <laughs> the younger people. What we do with the kids, the kids love us and what we do and stuff, you know, and that's what we yep. do it for. But, um, but yeah, as far as the teenagers go on that, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> no, mate, it's been a, an honour to talk to you. I've, it's, uh, yeah, I've, you're on my bucket list to go fishing with one day. So, um, Oh, definitely, mate. We'll definitely catch up there for sure, somewhere along the traps. Yeah. Actually, my good mate, Oscar, built your boat. Oh, um, yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. He's, At uh, BME? Yeah. 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 Well, was oh, that's a good little boat. Yeah, so he's... And um, he's he's done a lot of stuff for me over the years. So BME cans, if you want to check out a good boat builder, check them out. Yeah, and, yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, well, thanks a lot for all this. And um, well, no problem, mate. My pleasure, and uh, all the best to your listeners. And um, yeah, they can head on over to our sites if they want to keep up with what we're up to. Sounds good, champion. All right, buddy. See you later. Cheers, mate. Bye. All right, how good was that, Ryan Moody? Bloody champion of a bloke. If you want to check out his uh, sounder skills and all these other little courses he does, he's killing it in these courses. He's got Barra Basics, Sounder Skills, Wonky Holes, Fin 7, Finger Mark, and like you just heard it, live bait fishing. That's my favourite type of fishing, so make it yours. Ryan Moody, fishing.com.
www.backreefsessions.com. Check it out. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Go and check out Back Reef Sessions right now and get amongst it. I've got shirts out. They're actually ripping shirts. They're like a proper good-looking surf shirt. So if you like surf shirts, muscle shirts, fishing shirts, hats, let's go. Back Reef Sessions, baby. Check it out on YouTube, and I'll see you next time. And thanks for sharing this yarn with your mates. That's all you have to do, share this yarn with your mates. Once again, thanks again, Ryan. Bloody champion, Turu.